Hi, everyone. Today's scripture is John chapter 18, verses 38 through 40. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, scripture reader. My favorite of the them all. Can play favorites there. It's uh, well. Good morning. It's it's so good to be here to to worship together with you and to to spend some time together in the scriptures. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, again, I want to let you know that I'm, I'm so glad that, that you're here and also let you know that I have a stutter, which will kind of come in and out as I, as I preach. And, and I want to make sure that you know um, what, what that is. And so we're going to be in John, as you saw, there are a couple of verses together, some very impactful verses. So would you meet me in John chapter 18? And um, if you don't have a Bible with you, um, will you hold your hand up and keep it up? We want to get you one. So uh, hold your hand up and, and, and keep it up and we'll get you a Bible. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, uh, eso es un regalo a usted. Um, so again, this is our gift to you. We want to make sure that everyone has a copy of God's Word and, and you can keep it and put your name in it and underline things and uh, be ultimately changed and transformed and encouraged as God speaks to you and to us through His Word. And uh, again, the majority of our time we're going to be in the Scriptures, but I want to acknowledge that today we have like, is like part one, right, of kind of the two great American holidays uh, right, Super Bowl Sunday and then Valentine's Day. I don't know, I don't remember a time that's ever happened back to back, but uh, there they are. I, actually, though, I was in Nigeria a few years ago. I was just thinking about that this morning, and Valentine's Day was a bigger deal there than I've ever experienced here. So um, I think it started here home. I don't know. You hear all these things, whatever. Wikipedia figured out. Not now. Um, but all that to say, it, it was a big deal there. But Super Bowl Sunday specifically is kind of a big, a big deal for me. Someone this morning on the worship team actually was like, wait, is it Super Bowl Sunday? And it was kind of a f- funny moment. Kulani, you said I could, I could acknowledge that was you. Um, our kind of granola-ish, you know, maybe hipster-ish church, I'm, I wonder what the, how many people forgot or didn't even know it was the Super Bowl or don't even know what the Super Bowl is. It, uh, it's where it's a big football game uh, that is around the concert that you probably more, right, the halftime show. Uh, there's, well, there's something going on on either side of it. It's a football game. And uh, it's actually, for me, it was a big, it was a big, a big deal for me on, for a number of reasons. I actually brought uh, a jersey. Um, for, and actually, too, there are churches today in Tucson where like 75% of the congregation is wearing one of these. No lie. And I don't see one. Um, I'm not going to throw, I'm not going to give you this one, but, right, do a little... But uh, so this actually, I was going to say it wasn't my mom's, but that would have sounded better. But my mom had the exact same jersey with a different number and different name on the back. Uh, My mom and I got matching jerseys. 
So yeah, uh, this is Kellen Winslow Sr. Uh, and my mom had Dan Fouts, for any of you older that will remember that. But the Super Bowl, for me, I was even just thinking this morning, I was getting a little bit choked up even because um, my mom loved football. Love, and she's from England. And uh, so football, like American football. But she would, on Sunday mornings, she would take us to church. Um, my mom was a single mom, raised four, four boys on her own. She would take us to church, and we'd go to church, and then come, uh, come back. And then she would leave, because she was a, worked at a bar for the majority of my kind of childhood. And she was a bartender, and Super Bowl Sunday was a huge day. And often I would hear about a lot of, some of you even probably know, there's a lot of negative associated with the Super Bowl, even within my own family. So I want to even caution us and warn us on that front. Um, You know, alcohol consumption, um, abuse, uh, gambling, uh, just a a lot of brokenness. And again, for me, though, I want to think through um, it, it, was a, it was a special time because, again, thinking about my mom loving football. In fact, she would always, some of you, I was thinking about this too. One of the things I, I regret about, um, I was thinking about is many of you, especially if you've come in the last couple of years, don't know my, my mom. And that just, that saddens me. She became kind of a staple. She would sit right, actually right where you are, Delaney, and kind of up there. And uh, she has severe um, Alzheimer's now. And, and so because of COVID and stuff, she, and since COVID, we haven't really been able to take her out of, of where she lives. But um, man, I, just, I love my mom. And she would say she fell in love with two things. She moved here in January of 1967 and fell in love with two things. So again, from England, strong accent, all that, moved here. And uh, a couple days later, January 15th, 1967 was Super Bowl one. Green Bay and Kansas City played, and my mom fell in love with American football and fried chicken. (laughs) She'd never had that before coming from England. They're not really known for their culinary (laughs) prowess in England. And uh, and, and so again, I just, that's a bit of a shout out there. But this morning, I was thinking, like, I don't want to be cliche, but I I also want to acknowledge the Super Bowl, and even talk a, a little bit about football, because it, it applies. Um, I try not to all the time, right? I throw in some other things, but humor me today. Humor us today. Uh, but but the, the bigger deal is, is much more important. If you don't know what the Super Bowl is, you don't care about football, whatever, that doesn't, doesn't matter. What we're looking at today, if the sermon title is The Greatest Substitution and, 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 and so with that, would you join me in prayer as we get into our time? And, um, and again, I, I'm confident that this is something that every person in this room needs to hear and understand deeply. So with that, let's, let's pray as we get into our time. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for, again, worship. Thank you for a space to worship in. Uh, I acknowledge, again, even as we talk about the Super Bowl and things, there are so many things I've taken for granted. I took for granted calling my dad on Super Bowl Sunday. I took for granted uh, having my mom here on Sunday mornings and then watching the Super Bowl together. And I know even some people in this room uh, for whom the Super Bowl is a big deal, and there are lots of memories wrapped around it. And so... um, Lord, I pray, though, more than anything, that what we're about to hear from you, your, your word, I pray it will sink deeply into every one of our hearts. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So one more football analogy. This is helpful. In 2017, right, we're talking about great substitutions. In 2017, the NCAA National Championship, a great substitution took place. The Alabama Crimson Tide were playing the Georgia Bulldogs and and, uh, and Alabama was supposed to win, and their starting quarterback, Jalen Hurts, who had played great all year, was not getting it done. He had turnovers, fumbles, interceptions. If you don't know those terms, you're fine. But, uh, right, he, he wasn't doing well. And, and so the coach made a massive change at halftime, and he put in a freshman to a Tagovailoa, came in and led the team back, pushed the game to overtime, and Alabama won. And in overtime, he threw like a 45-yard touchdown to win the game for the team. This big deal. And it was, it was deemed as like, was that crazy or was that brilliant? Well, in the end, you look back and you're like, that was a brilliant move, right? He, he put in this guy who ended up being the number one draft, cho- draft choice in the NFL. He's this great quarterback. But at the time, it was questionable, Right? Replacing a proven starter with an unproven freshman. It turned out to be a great substitution, but not the greatest substitution. The greatest substitution in the history of the world is Jesus exchanging himself for his people. Jesus replacing himself for you and for me, and for us. Now again, I've joked about football and things like that, but I want you to hear that this theology, this belief of substitution, I was talking to a friend, and I would wager to bet many, in fact, I've experienced this, many followers of Jesus, many people who call themselves Christians, can't explain the significance of Jesus's substitution what it means, why it was necessary. Okay, substitution, as I said, is fundamental to what it means to follow Jesus. It's foundational. It's absolutely essential. Not so we can sound smart with our friends, not so we can check off all the theological boxes and impress people, though often it's kind of lumped in that category, right? Substitutionary atonement and all these terms that we don't know what they mean and just kind of pretend that we do and then kind of move on. Well, I, 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 hopefully you know that as a church, we just want to blow all that up, right? We're not interested in playing church and sounding smart and acting like we have everything, all our stuff together. Th- this theology is important because it impacts and affects every second of your life. If you've never heard of what I'm going to share this morning, what we're going to hear about this morning, I pray you hear and understand and respond to Jesus exchanging himself, giving himself for you. If you are a Christian, I pray that you will understand how Jesus exchanging himself for you shapes every second of your life. So with that, let's pick up and read In John chapter 18, verses 38, we're going to start the second part of that verse. After he had said this, so he is Pontius Pilate. He's the governor. After he had said this, he went back outside 
to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So first we have Pontius Pilate there, and he asked a question when it says there, after he had said this, he went back outside. So he asked a question to Jesus. He said, what is truth? Okay, first I want to acknowledge this guy, Pilate, is a lot like many of us. He has eyes to see, but does not see. He has ears to hear, but does not hear. Right? Many of us ask questions just like he did. What is truth? But in dramatic irony, that's a theme throughout John, Jesus had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's sitting there looking at truth personified. And he asked the question, what is truth? And then just kind of as, it's this, as if it's this kind of just high idea and thought, and then he just moves on. Anyway, moving along, and then he goes outside and he talks with the crowd there. So, right, he, he doesn't hear. He doesn't see. Though he has eyes, though he has ears, he doesn't truly recognize who God is and what he is doing and how that impacts his life. Then another question, though, is who has the power in this? Where does the power lie? Right? It looks, is it Pilate? Okay, this guy, Pilate, again, he's the governor. He's given authority there by Rome. Okay, so he's, he's, he's standing there, seemingly the person with the most authority, the most power in the entire city, the capital city of this whole area, this whole region. It seems like he has all the power. But as you read and you look, it's like, does he really have the power? He's actually afraid. He's looking for approval. He's looking for, he's looking for others to, 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 to uh, accept what he says. And so he doesn't really have the power, though technically on paper he has all the power. Well, who then does have the power? The religious authorities who arrested Jesus and then delivered him over to Pilate. Did they have all the authority? It seems like, John, we've seen them having authority. It seems like they're in control. They're the ones with all the power, right? Well, no, because ultimately, who makes the decision here? It looks like the crowds, right? He says, he says, who do you want me to release to you? And they cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. So was it their choice that Jesus be handed over to ultimately be killed? Do the crowds have all the authority? Well, again, in dramatic irony, if you've read through, and even right now, as you read through chapter 18, I don't it, at times, I'm frustrated with Jesus. Okay, it's again, it's okay to say that. When you, when you read through this, at times you're like, Jesus, if you just said it a little differently, you would have gotten out of it. Jesus, if you just would have said this, then you could have shown just how powerful you are. You could have, you know, fill, fill in the blank. Like, why didn't you consult me? Right? It's frustrating because it seems like Jesus has no power. But again, ironically, the one who in the story looks like he has the least amount of power is the one who has all the power. 
He's the only one who has the power. We heard and saw last week that Jesus told Pilate, you don't understand. The only power you have is given to you by my Father. I could, I could call like thousands of angels right now and they would show themselves to you and you would have an accident, right? You would need your diaper changed uh, if, I, if I exercised all my authority. Jesus has all the power. So with Jesus ultimately dying, it's under his power. It's his idea, right? In John chapter 10, Jesus, so earlier in John, Jesus says this, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. That word authority, what's the root word there? Author. Because Jesus is the author of life, all life, including his own, because it's his, he's the one who can take it up. He's the one in control. Jesus is a part of a bigger plan. Okay, hear me now, church. Though from our perspective, it seems like the crowds are the one in control, and they're saying, not Jesus, but Barabbas. What's actually happening here behind the scenes is God is saying, not Barabbas, but Jesus. Jesus is condemned to death. And God says, Barabbas deserves death, but not Barabbas. Jesus. So you might be wondering, what does this have to do with me? Well, it's all in a name. Right? Who, who are we talking about here? We're talking about Barabbas. I don't know what comes to mind for you if you've ever seen a mo movie or you've read other, other, other of the gospel accounts. It's like, okay, what is this guy Barabbas? Why so much given to him? It's short, but it's just, it's strange. So this guy Barabbas, right, it says there who he was at the end. Barabbas was a robber, a thief. Elsewhere in the other gospel accounts, we see all kinds of other things. He was more like, um, some people refer to him and think he was actually like a terrorist, kind of on behalf of, of, of Israel. He was, he, was, he was waging war against Rome. He had killed, he had murdered, he had lied, he had stolen. Who is Barabbas? You. You're Barabbas. You and I are Barabbas. Now, you might be thinking, I'm not a thief. I've never stolen. I've, I've never killed anyone. Well, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus himself explains to us, no, 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 you and I are thieves. We are murderers. We all, all are adulterers. He says, if you've ever thought an unjust, angry thought about someone, you've committed murder in your heart. If you've ever looked after another person who's not your spouse with lust, you have committed adultery before. And Jesus he takes three chapters of turning our whole moral order on its head. Ultimately, there he presents the case, no, you and I are lying, adulterous thieves, deserving judgment, deserving death. What's more, though, about what it means for you and I to be Barabbas? 
He was not only a thief and stole actual things, food and whatever else, he also stole a name. Okay, press in with me here. Bar Abbas, son of the father. Tradition believes that his name was actually Jesus Barabbas. Okay, Jesus is a common name in that day for like Joshua. So Jesus, you know, that we would say Jesus it actually was Joshua. So his first name being Joshua, son of the father, right? So Jesus Christ, his name would have been Jesus bar Joseph, Jesus son of Joseph, right? His earthly father, his stepfather was Joseph. He took on his trade. He was a carpenter, things like that. But his actual name, right? Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the King, is the true Jesus bar Abba, Jesus, son of the Father, God the Father. But this Barabbas, son of the Father, has another father. Okay, hang, hang with me. Are you, am I on your couch, right, Marcus says? Am, am I you, using that right, Marcus? <laughs> right? Am I, am I up in your space right now? Are you feeling me? If not, re- read with me a little bit in Romans, and we're going to bring this all together here. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and then we'll skip down to verses 18 through 19. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, that's the, again, the truth, the idea of original sin. Because the first human, Adam and Eve, made in God's image, sinned, all who are born from them, all of their children, all sons and daughters of the father, Adam, have sinned and are born into sin. And then down in verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, by Jesus's faithfulness, by his sinlessness, by his laying down of his power, of his rights, by giving up what he deserves, ultimately to die on the cross, by exchanging himself, by substituting himself for you and for me, the many will be made righteous. The first man, our father, Adam, said, no thanks God. I don't want to find my identity and my purpose and my life under your authority. I want to replace you. I want to be God. I want to define what's right. I want to define what's true. I want to define and pursue what will ultimately fulfill me and satisfy me. I want to, I want to, uh, I want my, 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 my sexual choices, my financial choices, my relational choices to ultimately be what I think they ought to be. Uh, I don't really think you know what's best. We replaced ourselves with God. And as a result, we stand before him condemned. But according to God's plan, not Pilate's, not the religious authorities, not the crowds, 
But Jesus said, I'll, I'll take your place. I'll substitute sons of the father Adam with myself, Jesus, son of God the Father. Okay, to help us understand this, John Stott explains it this way. The essence of sin, again, not God. No thanks God, I want it my way. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. We chose to substitute God with ourselves. And in his goodness and kindness, God chose to substitute us with himself. When Jesus dies on the cross, he is taking on our sin, our pain, our rebellion. And remember here, this is his plan. Okay, one uh, author and actually a friend of mine, Pastor Josh Butler, in his book, The Pursuing God, he's written a couple great books. In his book, The Pursuing God, he explains in some incredible terminology, he says, listen, right, like have any of you heard the Chuck Norris jokes? Okay, I've got a couple of people. Some of you, you've never heard of Chuck Norris, and it just grieves me <laughs> deeply, right? Well, what, what's one, right? Chuck Norris doesn't do push-ups. He pushes the earth down, right? There's all these different things. And, well, Jesus, the true and better Chuck Norris, <laughs> right? But we think of Jesus, even sometimes portrayals of Jesus, and some of our even subconscious, our understanding of Jesus dying in the cross. Like I said, it's like, poor Jesus, you, if you just would have said it a little differently, you wouldn't have had to do it. But no, what actually happens is him in his initiation, in his pursuit, under his authority, the cross doesn't happen to Jesus. Jesus happens to the cross, Death doesn't happen to Jesus. Jesus happens to death. Though Jesus died when he raised from the dead, death doesn't happen to Jesus. He brings life to all those who die if they put their faith in him. The promise is that they will rise again and live forever. So the substitution is absolutely essential. For your eternity... For your life, it matters. For your day-to-day -day life, it matters. How did Jesus die? Naked and full of shame on a cross. Shame didn't happen to Jesus. Jesus happened to shame. Sadness, rejection, when he cried out to his father, why have you forsaken me? How many of us in this room have some father wounds, some mother wounds, some abandonment wounds, some fears? When Jesus cried out, if there's any other way, let it be. He faced fear. Jesus happened to fear. He overcame shame. He overcame death. He overcame sadness. He overcame rejection. He rose again, fully restored. And so he invites you and me into full, redeemed, restored, resurrected life through his substitution, through his exchange, 
of his life for yours and for mine. So in closing, I want to kind of bring us home right now. You might be asking, well, what do I do with this? What do I do with this substitution, with this exchange of Jesus for me? Marcus, I love, love that you shared um, earlier, and this just came, came to me. That in, right, We heard that um, in 1823, Right there, we heard about what was going on in an in, in, in African-American woman born into slave, slavery, sent as a missionary. Well, in that same time period, something else happened that I had never heard of. In 1833 in Pennsylvania, so 1833 in Pennsylvania, um, a man named, um, named George Wilson committed a crime. He robbed the U.S. Postal Service. And, and in the process, he was condemned, right? He put someone in harm. He, he actually, like, attempted murder. He was condemned and, um, and then convicted to de- death by hanging. And, right, you might be thinking, man, he robbed, he stole someone's mail. I don't know all the background, but either way, he was condemned to death by hanging. And yet, he refused to be pardoned. And uh, right, our young country was asked, right, the Supreme Court was asked, well, what are you going to do about this? And read with me, says, Wilson, however, refused the pardon. The Supreme Court was thus asked to rule on the case. The decision was that if the prisoner does not accept the pardon, it is not in effect. A pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential. And delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if it is rejected, we have discovered no power in this court to force it upon him. The greatest substitution in human history is Jesus exchanging himself for you. He's done it. He's accomplished it fully on the cross. And his call right now is for you to surrender to him, to put your trust in him, to acknowledge that you and I are Barabbas, that we are in eternal deficit, that no halftime substitution, no midlife, right, change of course is going to make up for our rebellion. But he says, give me your life. Put your trust in me. Put your faith in Christ. Exchange death for life. So again, I want to ask you, everyone in here, have you put your trust in Jesus? Have you received the gift of grace? undeserved favor, life, forgiveness, purpose, identity, no more shame, no more fear, ultimately hope, power. If you have put your faith in Jesus, is Jesus' substitution for you shaping your everyday life? 
Though I know that fear is a reality today, sadness and grief and shame are realities, but they're not ultimate. They don't have the final say. So, so church, let's pray right now. Let's pray to God, the one who exchanged himself for you and for me and is calling for us to respond to him. Let's pray together. And I want to settle in for a moment in prayer. So please, everyone, close our eyes. Go before God. Who is God? Your Father, your true Father, the one who loves you, the one who created you, the one who is, has all authority and all power, and yet chose to lay that down, to lay down his own life, to pursue you, to call you back, to reconcile you, to accept you, to delight over you. Have you put your trust in Jesus? If you're here today, and your answer is, I don't know, then I want to invite you to simply pray right now in, the, in your own heart. Simply pray, Lord, I need you. I stand condemned before you. I have robbed, I have stolen, I have cheated. Whatever else you or I might fill in the many blanks after that. I am Barabbas. I stand before you condemned. So I surrender to you. I accept your gift of giving your life and then raising from the dead in order to win me back to you, in order to take my sin, my shame, my grief, my fear. I give it to you. Again, I encourage you that God's word says, if you and I are, faith, are faithful to confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. If you are a Christian here, and you know this intellectually, but this, 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 this life-changing foundational reality of Jesus' substitution, if that doesn't define your everyday life, what does it look like for you right now to pray Lord Jesus, thank you for giving yourself for me. I pray that the, that the reality of, of you dying on the cross will sink deeply into my heart. I pray that the reality of you, Jesus, raising from the dead will define my life. I pray that when I am afraid, when I am anxious, when I am struggling with my identity, when I, when, I, when I want to take control back of my life because I've grown so used to myself being hurt when someone else is in control, let me remember the power of you raising from the dead. Let me surrender my life to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you lead us individually and as a whole congregation to respond in power and in worship and in joy and in hope. In your name, Jesus, God the Father, Son of God Most High, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen.